Riverside here with Local News Live. You know, this year, National Cancer Survivors Day is being celebrated on June 6th. And I do mean celebrated. Surviving cancer takes a level of physical and mental strength that a lot of people can't even wrap their minds around. And when the cancer is gone, many are left to deal with the physical and emotional changes caused by cancer. So to learn more about cancer survivors' journey, today we are chatting with Cynthia Hayes. She's a cancer survivor patient advocate, and the author of a book called The Big Ordeal, Understanding and Managing the Psychological Turmoil of Cancer. Cynthia, welcome, and thank you so much for chatting with us today. Well, thank you so much, Amber. It's a pleasure to be here with you. So, Cynthia, can you just start by telling us a little bit about you and uh, your journey with cancer? Absolutely. So I had uh, recently um, left my position as a uh, hospital uh, marketing executive and um, imagined that I was going to write the great American novel uh, when I got a phone call out of the blue from my gynecologist who I had seen um, the week before uh, saying that she had detected some, you know, random cells on my pap smear and I needed to come back in immediately. And um, I was on my way to uh, get a, a manicure. I had a very important date and my daughter and I were <laughs> desperately trying to get our nails read before that uh, that evening. And so I didn't really give any thought to what she, uh, what she said. And then um, I uh, got to the manicurist and had just moments to uh, Google uh, the random cells that she said she found. And it was like, oh my God, I have cancer and I'm going to die. And it was such an automatic response. Um, and I was surprised by not only that response, but the emotional volatility that I experienced throughout the, uh, the mm. cancer ordeal. And further surprised after the fact, as I started talking with other people, um, that Many people experienced that same um, shock and fear. Many people experienced the same sense of helplessness and depression and um, anxiety throughout their, uh, their experience. And yet, while we all talk about the fact that we're going to get bald with chemo or we're going to uh, have uh, peripheral neuropathy or any of the other side effects that come with cancer treatment, we don't talk about the emotional experience of being a cancer patient. And so I wanted to actually take my writing skills and apply it to um, uh, helping people understand that cancer is a, an emotional diagnosis as well as a physical one. And therefore surviving cancer is an emotional experience as well as a physical recovery. Yeah, so, so take me back to that moment that, uh, you know, either you're in the nail salon or chatting with your doctor and it's really starting to set in, what kind of emotions were hitting you then? And, you know, what can someone else, you know, kind of expect to feel in that moment if, if that's something that, that they have to encounter in their life? Yeah, I think that so many of us instantly fear that we are going to die from cancer. And for millennia, cancer has been a death sentence. Um, and it was a valid assumption. Um, once you got your diagnosis, you had weeks or months to live. Now with earlier detection and um, improved uh, treatments, um, that's not necessarily the case, but it is still the gut reaction when we hear the words, you have cancer. Mm -hmm. um, so that was uh, the first response. But then beyond that, there's a tremendous amount of um, stress that comes to bear because all of this information is thrown at you about what your disease is and what you need to do about that disease. Um, you have uh, uh, to absorb so much information and then you have to make a decision. 
who do you want uh, to put your trust in going forward? And what protocols are you comfortable uh, accepting? Um, are you comfortable that your doctor has diagnosed you properly um, and that this treatment is going to work for you? And often there's a, a time lag between when you first hear the words, you might have cancer and uh, the time when you understand what exactly that cancer is and therefore what needs to be done about it and what your prognosis is. Mm -hmm. And that uh, period of um, um, waiting and testing and learning more is a period of heightened anxiety. So many people feel a great deal of, of uh, anxiety right then. Um, and then of course you have to you know, actually make a decision and move forward. So often, um, it's stressful to make that decision, but then having made that decision and starting treatment, patients begin to feel a sense of relief that finally someone is dealing with the cancer. There's some hope now that I'm going to get well. Um, and then as treatment progresses, um, additional emotions emerge. Um, we, we are fearful of what that treatment is going to be, whether it is radiation or uh, chemotherapy or immunotherapy. We don't know how our bodies are going to respond and we don't know how the cancer is going to respond. So there's relief, but also fear uh, and a sense of, of chaos and a loss of control over life. Um, mm -hmm. You think going into cancer that, you know, or before the diagnosis that you've, uh, you've got some control over your life. And what you realize as soon as you hear the words you've got cancer is, uh, you have no control, not only over who uh, gets cancer and who doesn't, but then what your life is like uh, during cancer treatment. Yeah, so, and I know you just mentioned the treatment a little bit, you know, we hear about all of the physical sides of treatment, you know, it can make a person weak, it can make a person lose their hair, you know, it can do all of these things to the body, but how does that also affect you mentally? Because it's such a long process too. I mean, you have to be not only mentally or not only physically, you know, strong to get through it, but mentally too. So talk to me about the emotional side of that long treatment period. Yeah, it, it can be a very um, challenging time for, uh, for many patients because you are constantly dealing with the fear that uh, there's the potential that the treatment isn't going to work, that your cancer is not going to respond to whatever the treatment protocol is. Um, and of course, you don't, you don't know from uh, week to week how your body is doing other than uh, the sense of fatigue that sets in and is so common with all of the cancer treatments. Most cancer treatments work by killing off all of our rapidly uh, dividing cells and therefore hair follicles and, and we lose our hair, but also our white blood cells, which make us therefore uh, vulnerable to other uh, infections and disease and our red blood cells, which are what uh, bring oxygen and energy to our bodies. So that, um, that fatigue builds over uh, the treatment period. Um, um, associated with that is a tremendous amount of, of cognitive impairment, whether you call it chemo brain or cancer-induced uh, cognitive uh, uh, impairment. It's just, um, you don't feel like yourself. You're not sharp. You're not able to um, think like yourself. And of course, the combination of not being able to think like yourself, not looking like yourself, not having the physical activity and therefore being able to act like yourself, there's a great deal of loss of sense of self and um, confusion around identity. And it can often bring a sense of helplessness and even hopelessness that um, I'm never going to get well again. I'm never going to be able to be free of, of cancer. And of course, for many people, um, that's true. Um, the cancer either progresses or the cancer 
um, responds enough to become sort of a chronic condition, but never really goes away. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, people are justified in that fear. And yet, for so many more of us, um, eventually we will recover, um, but we don't necessarily have the uh, the confidence yet in our bodies. Our bodies betrayed us by developing cancer. So how can we trust it now? And of course, every little twinge, you think the cancer's coming back. Um, the, the treatment ha hasn't worked properly. Uh, I'm going to get sick again. Yeah. So, and that kind of leads into the recovery process. You know, once you are given that good news that, hey, you've beat cancer, you know, obviously you still have the medical side of things, you know, checkups are more frequent possibly, but, um, you know, what's that, that myth, that like distrust of your body um, that, you know, patients experience then? Talk to me about more about that part. You know, one of the things that I learned, and, and I'm not a, I'm not a doctor and I'm not a psychologist, but I, I uh, am a journalist and a management consultant. So I learned how to ask a lot of questions and then synthesize information. And one of the people that I spoke with, um, a neuroscientist explained to me that, um, uh, in our bodies, we have a, a class of proteins called cytokines, and there are pro-inflammatory cytokines and anti-inflammatory cytokines, and they communicate with our immune system to try and keep us healthy and keep things in balance. And um, when you get a paper cut, uh, pro-inflammatory cytokines um, are released and go to the site of that paper cut and say, hey, you know, we need some additional platelets here to um, heal this wound. We need some white blood cells here to make sure we don't get an infection. And then as the, uh, the cut heals, the anti-inflammatory cytokines get busy and reverse that process. Well, it turns out that, you know, surgery causes an influx of cytokine activity, as does um, chemotherapy and radiation therapy and the presence of cancer cells themselves, the dying off of cancer cells, some immunotherapies are actually cytokine therapies. So our bodies are awash in these cytokines. And it's a lot of that excess cytokine activity that actually signals the brain that there's something wrong here and we better go back to bed and pull the covers over our head. So a lot of the emotional response that we're feeling is because our body is flooded with too much um, cytokine activity. So when we uh, finish treatment, our bodies have to get back to homeostasis. And that can take six months, 12 months, even 18 months. And it's not until we've reached homeostasis and the scars have healed internally and externally and our body begins to feel like itself again that we can get to emotional recovery uh, because our, our uh, hormones are not yet in balance. Um, and in addition to the, uh, the cytokine uh, activity, there, there are a lot of changes to our hormonal system uh, during cancer and cancer treatment. Um, for um, many cancers, uh, chemotherapy um, is either an estrogen uh, suppressor or an androgen suppressor, or we take hormones to actually uh, actively suppress those, um, uh, those hormones. Um, or we take uh, hormones like um, steroids to try and uh, support the effectiveness of chemo or uh, reduce the likelihood of uh, toxicity from the chemo. So all of that uh, messes around with how our brains uh, respond to um, what our bodies are physically going through. Um, so it can take uh, quite a while for uh, the recovery process to, to finally happen. And once we've achieved physical recovery, then most of us find emotional resilience. And um, that process is, is tricky in itself because there's a tremendous sense of loss that occurs when treatment is ended. Um, that's when most uh, of our friends and, and uh, loving caretakers 
workers will go back to living their normal lives, assuming that we, the patients, are back to living our normal lives. But we're not yet, and we don't yet have the strength or, or the emotional resilience to step back to where we were. And so we've lost the day-to-day -day observation of our medical team, and we've lost the day-to-day -day support from our uh, love and caregiving network, and we can often feel very isolated again and uh, a tremendous sense of loss. Eventually, many patients actually um, find that they can accept uh, their new normal, whatever that might be for them. And um, still other patients actually find that they learned something through their cancer experience. Like cancer somehow helped them accept who they are, uh, rearrange their priorities, um, and uh, find uh, an opportunity for growth through the stress of the, uh, of the experience. Mm -hmm. So, you know, obviously you've talked a lot about both the physical and, and emotional sides of everything. Were you surprised at how emotional this journey was and how, how difficult it was for your mental health? Was that kind of a shock to you throughout this whole process? It, it really was a surprise. And um, it was a surprise not only internally, but externally. I mean, nobody was talking about it. Um, so I was, I was surprised by what I was feeling, but I was also isolated because I wasn't hearing from other people that that was a common experience. I wasn't hearing from my medical team that that was an expected part of the process. And I think that one of the hardest things um, uh, in our society is that because uh, mental health issues are stigmatized, we don't know that we can ask for help. And if you broke your leg and you were in pain, you wouldn't think twice about asking your doctor for um, help with uh, your broken leg. But if it's your soul that's broken, if it's your mind that's not working properly, we tend to blame ourselves rather than thinking that mm -hmm. there are external causes of um, the emotional experience. And so we are hesitant to ask for help. And of course, our medical team um, teams are so specialized and so focused on eliminating the cancer that they don't necessarily um, raise the subject of mental health issues with us. And so it's only by increasing awareness um, of the fact that cancer is an emotional diagnosis in addition to a physical one, and that there are external drivers of that emotion that we can begin to recognize that, yes, we have a right to ask for help. And oh, by the way, there are tremendous resources available out there if we know to ask for help. Mm -hmm. And you know, you mentioned one word in in one of your responses that I want to talk about, and it was isolation. And of course, you know, isolation has just been multiplied over the last year and a half with the pandemic. So, how has that pandemic affected the emotional roller coaster that is already happening for so many cancer patients? How has the pandemic played a part in all of this? Yeah, I, I think that you've uh, raised a very good point, which is that isolation has become a part of everyone's lives. Um, and I think that for cancer patients, it's, it's, it's doubly hard because so many of the expectations that we have around cancer can't be met during COVID. Um, for you know, the past several decades, we've all seen on TV people receiving chemo and their friends are there with them, their family members are there with them. Well, under COVID, um, people were uh, not allowed into the hospital um, unless they were the patient. And so many cancer patients experienced uh, much greater isolation. The bigger concern though, is that many people because of COVID put off their cancer screening. And therefore um, I'm worried as uh, is much of the medical community that, um, that we're going to see a surge in 
uh, more uh, advanced cancer down the road because people uh, delayed getting that screening and getting the attention that they needed um, during COVID. Um, but that that sense of isolation is is really dramatic, and mm -hmm. you know it, it's it's odd to think that everyone is feeling isolated because if we're all feeling the same thing, we should be um, we should be sharing that. Um, but again, the hesitancy to share and to open up around emotional issues means that yes, it's a very isolating experience. Yeah, and that kind of leads me to my next point. You know, you mentioned asking for help. What do you recommend for people who are feeling this? either isolation or, or just, you know, emotional hardships from their battle or even recovery uh, from cancer. What do you recommend for them? I think that the, the first place to go is, um, is to your medical team. Um, more often than not, uh, an oncology practice has access to um, supportive care. Sometimes it's called um, psychosocial support. Sometimes it's called uh, just supportive care or palliative care. But most oncologists can refer you to a, um, a psychotherapist or a social worker or somebody who can um, provide a little bit of emotional support and or a lot if that's what's needed. Um, beyond um, your uh, immediate medical team, there are a variety of um, uh, support resources that are available through the internet. There are a couple of um, uh, organizations that provide one-on-one -on -one mentorship um, and uh, an organization such as Immerman's Angels uh, will match you um, to somebody with your cancer and your life circumstances who will then be your peer mentor throughout the experience. Uh, cancer Hope Network does the same thing. Um, there are organizations such as uh, Cancer Support Community and Gilda's Club that provide a range of um, online and uh, in-person um, activities and support groups. Um, most cancer-specific um, organizations um, have a, uh, a support function offering, at, at this point, um, primarily online support groups, um, but also many offer one-on-one -on -one counseling. And most of this is available for free. Um, uh, and so there's, there are just tremendous resources for people to tap into. I don't recommend um, asking Dr. Google about your cancer, but I do recommend searching online for um, the existence of resources to help you um, because there are just tremendous resources available out there if you if you know that it's okay to ask. Yeah, and, and you know, some of those resources are found in our loved ones too. You know, there are a lot, for a lot of us, that's our support system, um, you know, your, your closest family members. So if you have a loved one that's battling cancer, cancer or is recovering after their battle with cancer, how do you help them? You know, what's what's the best thing that we can do for, for someone for a cancer patient? I think that the, um, the the thing that cancer patients want most is for someone to be able to listen to them and really hear and allow them to express their fears and concerns. And it's hard because as a, um, as a patient, you tend to hold back a little bit about your fears. And as a caregiver, you tend to wanna to be positive and supportive, but might end up saying something that feels dismissive to the patient. So for instance, assuring somebody everything's going to be all right without having first heard that that patient is um, fearful about their, um, their life and worried that the treatment isn't working. That can, um, that can come off um, poorly for the patient who then feels like they're not being heard. And so I think that the, 
one of the biggest concerns in, um, in supporting a, a cancer patient that you love is that you maintain the emotional intimacy to allow you to, uh, to really be supportive and, uh, and to recognize that um, most patients are going to withhold a little bit of information, whether it is out of concern for themselves or out of concern for you. You know, so often um, we do rely on other members of our household and the rest of the household is trying to figure out, well, how do I support the patient, but also how do I keep the household running? How do I keep uh, paying for the insurance so that we can afford this treatment? How do I get the kids off to school in the morning? How do I get the meals prepared? How do I pay all the bills? Mm -hmm. And so with all of those other worries, the patient often thinks, well, I can't also burden uh, my, um, my spouse with um, my fear that I'm going to die. And so the patient withholds a little bit and the spouse withholds a little bit because they don't want to burden the patient with, uh, we're out of money, how are we going to ha uh, handle this? And so we end up with a, a communications gap that creates an intimacy gap, which then makes it harder to, um, to be supportive of the patient. Um, and so um, I just encourage everyone to understand that it's a good chance we're holding uh, things back uh, on both ends. Yeah. Some great advice there. And, you know, thank you so much for, for being willing to share your story and to help others, you know, have a little bit more of an idea of what they're going into when they get a diagnosis like this. Um, for those interested, where can people find and purchase your book? Uh, so the book is available in bookstores everywhere. Obviously, um, an easy spot is to go to Amazon. You can also go to my website, thebigordeal.com, and there's a link to purchase the book there. Also on the website, there's a tremendous amount of information. Um, so if you're not able to purchase the book or you just want to dip your toe in the water, um, we have uh, a variety of patient stories, um, a lot of uh, scientific insights, a lot of uh, coping advice um, right there for you on thebigordeal.com. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for, uh, for chatting with us today. We really appreciate it. And uh, we wish you the best. And I know now you're, you are recovering. So we wish you the best in your emotional. Well, thank, thank you, you so very much. much. It's a pleasure speaking with you.